everyone. Welcome to Health Addicts. Remember, this show is just for entertainment purposes only, meaning I'm not your doctor. So if you have questions about anything related to your health, gotta ask your doctor, okay? Otherwise, enjoy the show and enjoy the content. Man, how many carbs are too much carbs? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I even supposed to be taking vitamins? I guess I better listen to The Health Addict Show. Welcome back, everybody. This is Health Addicts once again. I'm your host, Tommy J. And we got a great show for you today. And it's actually a good episode to talk about because modern science can't really still explain what's going on. And we're talking about the disease ALS. And I'm sure a lot of you are already like, oh God, he's using abbreviations. All right. So ALS is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Or you might have actually heard this other one called Lou Gehrig's disease. And another term they might use in the medical field is motor neuron disease. But pretty much the basics of it is the motor neurons themselves that control our muscles are being destroyed, making us weaker and weaker and weaker. And this isn't something that just kind of popped up out of nowhere all of a sudden. This is actually going all the way back to the 1800s. Because in 1867, Jean-Martin Charcot actually was the first person who originally discovered it. He knows people are having some muscular weakness and just wasting away over time and they couldn't explain it why and this disease wasn't not affecting people but just didn't get the attention it deserved until the famous new york yankee baseball player henry lou Gehrig was diagnosed with it in 1939 and actually took his life within two years because he passed away in 1941 and another famous person you might even know is stephen hawking and you saw how long that man suffered with such a disease so you can tell how detrimental this disease process is to people. And it is very detrimental. The average life expectancy once diagnosed with ALS is only three to five years. And most people die from respiratory failure after the five year mark. Now, this isn't a very common disease. Well, there's only about 5,000 new cases per year. And there's about 16,000 people in the US living with Lou Gehrig's or ALS at any given moment. And the typical onset for the disease process isn't really even until your 40s and all the way up into your 70s. And even at that point, they still don't even understand why people are having this disease. It's so spontaneous and there really isn't any reason for it. 90% of the people are diagnosed with it. There's no specific reason why. There's only a 10% of population that usually has it through inheritance. And if the parent has it, there's a 50-50 shot that a child will have Lou Gehrig's or ALS behind them. But before we go any more into it, I really just want to talk about what ALS is. So let's kind of dive into the anatomy and physiology part of it. We won't go in too deep because I don't want to bore you too much, but just kind of better understanding what's happening at the neuron level. So the basic question is, what is a neuron? A neuron is a neurological cell. There's many types of them, but these are the ones that create neural pathways and signals that transfer information. And when information is transferred, it goes from your brain to your spinal cord, from the nerve, and then these motor neurons tell the muscles to fire. And the most simplified way I can say it is there is a nutrient deficiency to these motor neurons causing cellular death of the motor neurons themselves, forcing no more activity to be able to be transferred through those pathways. So the muscular or smooth muscular cells can't activate anymore. 
And this kind of helps us better understand breaking down the word because a, no, myo is muscle, and trophic is nourishment. So lateral sclerosis, you're having a lateral side of your spinal cord, sclerotic, which is hardening, and there is no more nourishment being to these motor neurons. And that how is the word is formed, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And all right, I'm done boring you with the anatomy physiology part. If you want to know more about it, just let me know. But I'm going to get more into the actual disease process and things that happen now, okay? So now you kind of understand what the disease is, what are some signs of ALS? And the first one is tripping and stumbling while walking because you're having weakness going to your legs. You might also start noticing a limp and a lot of twitching. And you're also gonna have some fatigue, which is getting tired more quickly than you normally do. And this can be in your hands too, in your feet. It's more of your limbs. And a bigger problem is people start having cramping and stiffening. And sometimes they also start slurring their speech or have just a hoarseness overall because they're not clearing their throat as well. And some people might just have trouble eating overall, noticing, hey, I'm not swallowing the stuff I'm putting in my mouth as easy as I normally do. And this isn't something that just happens all at once. You're going to start noticing over time these characteristics are starting to build. Like maybe one day you notice you're just not walking as well as you normally do. Or you're just starting to get more tired. And then within the next month or year you start having more cramps and twitching. And then the next month or year you start slurring your speech more or unable to eat as well. So it's not something that just all happens at once. It's not what we call an acute onset. It's a lot of symptoms that build up over time. And another thing people might not hear about as much is pseudobulbular effect syndrome. And this is more of an involuntary muscular laughing or crying. And what I mean by that is it might be a totally inappropriate situation, but a person might just all of a sudden start crying or laughing for no reason at all. And they don't understand why it can really be hurtful and they don't do it on purpose, but it's just an involuntary response that their body is having. So let's say you start having these weaknesses building up over time and you just aren't understanding what's going on. You say, hey, maybe it's time to see the doctor. So the first thing they're gonna do is they're gonna test your reflexes. And they're gonna do the normal ones where they test in the joints and the stretch reflexes that our body normally has to see if there's any deprivations. They also can do what's called a Babinski test and they'll run either a pen or the finger on the bottom of your foot and depending on the deflection of your toes, gives them another response. But another test they like to do is an EMG, which is an electromyography. And this measures the muscle response to electrical activity. And even though this is kind of an easy test to do, and it isn't something that proves anything right away, it's actually kind of painful because they actually have to stick needles into your skin in order to get a better sense of what's going on with the electrical activity. Now, there isn't anything injected, but you're definitely going to have some soreness maybe for a couple days after having these needles placed inside your skin. Because like I said, even after this, they could still not understand what's going on. Because sometimes it takes over a year to have a clinical diagnosis of amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And even then, they still have to rule out it could be something else. Because there's a lot of other neurological diseases that kind of come up in the same way. You have Guillain-Barre, myasthenia gravis. Um, there's even possibility of a stroke or other spinal cord injuries. But usually these can be ruled out with other tests like the Guillain-Barre. It's usually like a protein or other sides of infection, myasthenia gravis. You have other debilitating autoimmune diseases. And overall, it's just a quick onset of these other diseases that happen, whereas ALS is more a progressive disease. And the problem with ALS is 
It is a terminal disease. There is no cure to ALS at this time. Mostly what we try to do now in the medical field is just treat the symptoms and the person as well as we can. There is one medication out there to help treat ALS, and that medication is called Rylazole. And even though it doesn't cure the disease, it has been shown clinically to help slow down the process of those no the motor neurons being degenerated. So what is the complications of someone that's diagnosed with ALS? Overall, it's just gonna be the progression of muscle degeneration. It's, they're gonna become wasting away as far as their muscular tone because the muscles are losing all those nutrients that they normally have and they're not being used anymore. And it is the use it or lose it deal with this situation. But it's not just your skeletal muscle that's affected, it's also your diaphragm, your main breathing muscle we use to breathe and clear secretions and cough and sneeze. So a lot of these people, once the disease keeps progressing, they need other forms of help to breathe, whether it's a CPAP or a BiPAP, those machines that people use for obstructive and central sleep apnea, or they might even need full-on mechanical ventilation, something that helps them breathe because they just can't breathe anymore. There's also devices that help them cough because they're unable to clear their secretions. And the respiratory failure can become so bad that they need a tracheostomy, that permanent opening in the neck region that helps them breathe because it decreases airway resistance. And another huge problem is they are unable to eat or drink. And so the patient becomes malnourished or dehydrated. And it's because they can't swallow well. And another huge problem with that is they'll swallow, but it won't go down the esophagus. It'll go down the trachea. And now you have an aspiration issue. And aspiration usually leads to pneumonia. And when you already have a respiratory impairment, a respiratory pneumonia is terrible and can be the ultimate cause of death, honestly. But a great way they prevent this though is they can put a feeding tube in or they can be parental um, nutrition or they can do, but a way they can combat this is they can give a feeding tube which will help feed the patient well because they're not gonna be able to chew or swallow or they can do parenteral nutrition which is IV nutrients. So there is ways to still feed somebody but it's honestly not as satisfying. It's so unsatisfying to get these kind of nutrition when you just wanna chew or taste something. And even though the obvious breathing is important and eating is important, you can't forget the ability to communicate. Once you start losing all those motor capabilities, you're not gonna be able to talk as well. And even swallowing, you're not, you're gonna start drooling and you just wanna talk. So it's really hard to communicate when you can't talk and you can't even write what you wanna say. So gratefully, there's actually ways for them to still communicate. They came out with other ways from text-to-speech if they have a little bit of mobility with their hands or they have video monitoring that follows their eyes and it actually allows them to pick words and letters to make full sentences with these computers. So there is great ways for them to still talk, but it's such a nuisance to have to use that. And there's obviously a gap to them wanting to communicate. And then of course, there's just other neurological problems, muscle cramping, twitching, and even forms of dementia have been followed with ALS. And I know this sounds real dark and gloomy, but it is a terminal disease. And like I said, the outlook is three to five years for all these people. There's been obviously shown that people can live 10 years with proper treatment, mechanical ventilation, lots of physical therapy, treating the symptoms with the drug therapy, helping with depression. Obviously, there's going to be a depression component with this. But mostly you want the person to be comfortable and understand their wants and needs because you want them to feel the best they can for the situation. 
So what's kind of on the horizon for ALS treatment? Um, they're still working on making drugs. It takes a lot of money to create these medications because they're small organizations trying to do the most research. Um, the ALS Foundation is one of the greatest foundations for ALS. They've really helped and tried their best to get funding for these medications. So if you want to look up even more information on ALS, that's a great place to start. But they also even look for donations. So if you want to donate to the cause of ALS or because you know somebody or just want to help get involved, that's a great place to start. It's a great organization. But as dark as gloomy as there is, there's still a lot of hope because we are treating patients better and better and better. And I've personally worked with a lot of ALS patients. And even though the prospect of it is terrible, they are such wonderful people and patient people for the most part. And they deserve our patients as well. So that's pretty much it, guys. That is everything you need to know about ALS. Like I said, if you want to get more information, hit me up on the podcast and other social media sites or even go to the ALS Foundation site and you can learn more and more what you can do to help contribute to the cause. Uh, but that's it. You're all experts. And I hope to hear from you soon. Everyone have a great day. Stay addicted to your health.